Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, for a fifth year, we're looking at the UBS Global Real Estate Bubble Index, a yearly study from UBS Global Wealth Management's CIO, which gauges the bubble risk in the residential property market in 25 major cities around the world. The 2021 edition leads off with the observation that housing prices across those geographies have climbed in lockstep to new heights, with urban markets sharing the spoils. This is noteworthy for two reasons. First, pandemic-related restrictions and the rise of remote working have actually weakened the case for urban housing. Indeed, rents in the cities analysed have declined on average, something that happened rarely in the past. Second, housing affordability in cities was already heavily strained even before the pandemic struck. And yet the lack of affordability of home ownership for large parts of the population has evidently not been an obstacle to price increases. On the programme today, the editor-in-chief of the Grebby Report and one of its regional contributors will join us to mull questions like will higher prices inevitably lead to higher household leverage? Does worsening affordability, unsustainable mortgage lending and a rising divergence between prices and rents foreshadow another housing crisis? And do ever higher prices and leverage imply ever higher risks? And if so, where does that leave us? So let's meet those panellists. First up is Matthias Holtzai, Grebby 2021 Editor-in-Chief and Head of Swiss Real Estate Investment at UBS Wealth Management in Zurich. Matthias, thanks for joining us on the programme once again. This report studies the housing market outlook for a broad range of global urban centres and reveals where imbalances are currently the greatest. But before we get into the detail of the piece, perhaps remind us about the objectives each year. What are you and your colleagues seeking to bring out in this report at the outset? Well, I mean, basically, we try to identify uh, bubble risks in urban centres around the globe. And if we talk about bubble risk, I mean, we try to spot, in a sense, long-term imbalances. We're looking at the price income price rent ratios. We look at the urban housing markets decouple, let's say, from the respective country, from the respective countries. We look at if households are leveraging up. We also look at if we suddenly see surge in construction in the, in the economy. And if we see stuff like that happening, at best altogether, then this points out that... Uh, well, I would say then the alarm bell starts ringing because historically this has always been associated with a higher risk of a price correction. Well, let's look then at you know some of the headlines from the piece. And we've seen that house prices you know, around the world really have climbed to new heights, more or less in lockstep. And I know that you know, we're used to seeing these increases, but there are a couple of reasons why what we've seen in the urban markets that the report focuses on is is particularly interesting. And one of those, of course, is relates to the pandemic, which is something that has shaped so much of, of um, the last 18 months or, or so. Can you tell us how pandemic restrictions, the rise of remote working, things like that, how that has uh, played a, a part here for this latest edition, Matthias? Yeah, well, I mean, basically... <laughs> I mean, the expectation was that uh, urban housing should be under pressure because of all the pandemic-related restrictions. I mean, I mean, everybody had experienced the disadvantage of uh, living in the inner city. You see that uh, with the uh, prevalence of home office, you can easily move out and uh, you don't have to live close to, to the city centre anymore and so on. I mean, these arguments have been laid out uh, quite, uh, quite, quite often in research and in, and in the media. But I mean, nevertheless, we saw an 
we saw an acceleration in house prices in city centers, and this came a bit of a, as a surprise. I mean, that doesn't mean that all these adverse effects have not been reality, because um, it was for the first time, I think, in a quarter of a century, that urban centers underperformed the country average. So this 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 close to never happened before. Well, it happened in a depression in nine, in, the, in the mid 90s, but usually uh, urban housing has been outperforming uh, the country average. And this is now this has now changed. We also see weakness on the rental markets, where rents actually declined, be it on the median of the allied cities, or also if you take the average, then you see that it's even one of the sharpest declines since the 70s. But this is driven by the U.S. cities, where you see double-digit rental declines in New York and San Francisco. But to summarize that, I mean we have these adverse effects, but uh, then there were other effects which were driving housing, at which we are supporting housing demand, and those effects were much stronger than the adverse effects on urban housing. Is affordability or relative affordability not really relevant here, Matthias? Looking at the findings of the report, it almost seems like unaffordability doesn't actually make any difference to prices. Interestingly, or in a funny way, it doesn't seem to matter. Okay, you can, house prices can go up even though housing is completely unaffordable for the average income earner or even unaffordable for, let's say, a high income earner. It doesn't really matter. And it doesn't matter because, because the mortgage rates are so low that, uh, that households are so keen to, to invest into housing or to go to buy, a, to buy a home instead of renting it that they usually find a way to do so. Bit, uh, to rely on heritage, to rely on, uh, on donations, and then, and then if they just uh, they, they just have to climb over the credit hurdle, and then if they if they manage to do so, they are in a sense uh, they are far better off than if they would have would have rented. So that's in a sense uh, in the short run. So let's say the, as long as interest rates, mortgage mortgage rates are so low, and in some cases, I mean, are below one percent. And if you turn to zero in the extreme case, it doesn't really matter anymore how much you actually pay for a home or how much debt you have as a household. It's not important as long as you get as long as you get credit from your bank. And that's also an observation we are currently making in many of those markets. I mean, if you look at if you look at where the strongest price increases are, then these are these are typically all in cities where access to to leverage, where access where the ease. Uh, of uh, financing conditions has been eased by the regulators. Okay, be it in be it in Moscow, be it in Vancouver, in Sydney, in Stockholm. All during the pandemic, they all tried to to help to to assist households, uh, first home buyer households, and specifically so they can still purchase homes. And this this triggered the price explosion again, double digit price increases in those cities. Yeah, mainly driven by the easier access to leverage. Well, yeah, and if you do have, even given the backdrop you've described there, Matthias, ever higher prices and leverage, you know, that would suggest ever higher risks. And some of these things, you know, unsustainable lending, worsening affordability, traditionally have presaged a housing crisis. Does the fact that we see some but not all of these mean that, you know, it is more likely down the track that we get to a point that is not sustainable? And whether we see a crisis or something akin to that, even in you know a low interest rate environment, etc., that that is more likely down the track. Well, I mean, at, at least that's what we are. At least that's what we are. That's what we are thinking. I mean, in the near future, we will likely get more regulations. Financing conditions will be will be tightened again, because regulators are becoming worried about uh, about housing bubbles. 
and about the stability of the banking system in the end. And this will have an immediate impact, uh, immediate effect on the on housing demands and will likely trigger already trigger downward pressure on prices. And second, we also believe that the urbanization trend will be weakened structurally by the by technology and uh, I mean by the ability to work from everywhere. And this just uh, weakens a bit the case for for urban housing. And then you also have, especially in Europe, I mean, if you look at demographics, it doesn't look really great. So you have, uh, so we have overall much less uh, demand growth for urban, but also for suburbs, for, for, for housing in, in, in the suburbs. So overall, I think there will be, yeah, there will be, there, there is less upside from, from, from current levels and, and the risks are increasing. I mean, it cannot be sustainable if you have ever higher prices and ever higher leverage at the same time. At some point, if interest rates would go up, or if, yeah, and, and as, as, I, as I mentioned, if financial conditions tighten, you would immediately have a price correction. Matthias Holtzai. Next, we're turning to Dean Turner, economist in the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO here in London. Dean Turner, good to speak with you again for what now, the fifth edition, I think, of the, the Grebby Report. What's the kind of key headline then from the 2021 iteration, Dean? And I wonder to what extent, not just uh, the regional picture, but the entire global picture this year is, if not shaped by, at least needs to be viewed through the prism of the pandemic, obviously. Presumably that does rather run through it as a narrative. Absolutely. Um, the pandemic has uh, disrupted pretty much uh, everything that uh, we monitor from uh, from an economic perspective. But I think the key takeaway and, and perhaps the counterintuitive conclusion, uh, certainly counterintuitive uh, relative to pre the pandemic, is that we've actually seen a pretty robust performance of housing across the globe. Now, I say counterintuitive because if I'd have said to anyone back in 2019, you know, the next couple of years we're going to experience a global pandemic, what does that mean for property prices? I think very few would have concluded that uh, we'd have seen the kind of strength that we have seen. But, you know, when we dig into the details of this, it perhaps becomes a little bit uh, more intuitive because as demand uh, fell away due to restrictions being imposed during the pandemic, central banks responded um, as, as we would have expected them to and indeed as they usually do during, a, during an economic slowdown by cutting interest rates. And, you know, financing costs are always a key component when it comes to property prices. And, and that's been one of the other key narratives that uh, runs through this Report. It's this fact that you know affordability uh, has uh, has declined as as leverage has increased, and the reason that leverage has increased is because the cost of borrowing uh, has come down. So, you know, when we look back, there are clearly other pandemic narratives to the, that that run through uh, this report. Some of them, them we'll cover a little bit more when we come to the UK in terms of how housing markets have reacted in different parts of the country. But overall, yes, uh, it's it, it, it's one of pretty much broad strength. Well, that's interesting, isn't it, Dean? And I wonder, I mean, one would imagine, therefore, more leverage tends to suggest more risk. And I know one of the kind of takeaways here is that, you know, the bubble risk, and it is called the bubble index, of course, I guess, does that mean it, does it follow that that on average then has also increased during the year as we've seen this maybe surprisingly robust performance? And does it also follow then that a price correction of some character, potentially severe, is also more likely in many of the markets tracked? 
I wouldn't say that uh, that a price correction is um, any more likely. I think uh, the key conclusion to draw is that um, much stronger price gains are less likely. You know, when all is said and done, if we have a pretty robust global economy, labour markets remain relatively healthy over the next couple of years, which is our base case forecast, um, then there would be very few reasons, sorry, to to expect to see a correction. But certainly, given the gains we've had, the scope for um, further gains at the pace we've seen are limited. And you know, the other thing I would also observe that uh, when it comes to the bubble index is that you know we haven't seen every city globally rise at the same at the same rate. And indeed, a lot of uh, a lot of cities, London, one of them, has actually um, is not in what we call bubble territory. It's more in the kind of highly valued territory. But you know, as is always the case every year, as you say this, I think this is the fifth year we've been doing this, you tend to see that the, the runners and riders do change. And this year has been no different. You know, pockets of strength, especially in Europe, is notable. And, you know, perhaps uh, not as much strength elsewhere. Well, yeah, Dean, let's look then at the UK. As I said, we're both sat in London town, aren't we? Is it once again this idea where, obviously, the piece focuses on cities specifically. Does one necessarily need to look at London more or less entirely separately from the rest of the UK when we're looking at trends and takeaways from the past 12 months? From my perspective, uh, as you know, Tom, I'm, I, I cover the UK quite extensively, and you know, it's always been my view that the London housing market is a bit of an outlier relative to the rest of the country. A lot of that is because the drivers, especially at the prime end of the market, you know, the the, the, the very highly valued properties, tend to be a little bit different. I mean, the trends that we've seen this year is that uh, after a couple of years of weakness, London uh, house prices have recovered. But, you know, it's it's a situation where that recovery, although it's been positive, has been swamped, uh, quite frankly, by what's gone on elsewhere in the country. Because here we're seeing that some quite specific pandemic trends are starting to come through and the demand for people to move out of out of city centres into a more rural environment, larger properties, which has been enabled by an increase in work from home, has driven you know much faster house price rises elsewhere than we've seen uh, in the city centres. Now, there's also a couple of other factors that we've got to bear in mind that has helped uh, the property markets nationwide recover. Uh, you know, I mentioned the policy response from central banks, and you know, Bank of England is one of those central banks um, that actually uh, cut interest rates quite aggressively. But also in the UK, we had uh, we had quite an aggressive cut to what what we call stamp duty, so a tax on properties uh, purchases here, and that's another factor that has fueled uh, fueled the housing market and perhaps encourage people to think about taking advantage of those uh, pandemic trends of home working, you know, less time in the office, etc. Um, that stamp duty cut has enabled people to actually rethink their lifestyle and move home to something that's perhaps uh, more suitable for the post, uh, post-pandemic world. If we take a bit of a step back, do you go along with that idea that, you know, there could be a lean spell around the corner, even if we stay in a low interest rate environment? 
Well, I, I think I, I would agree with that. A, a lot of what's going to drive that lean spell is affordability. Yes, interest rates are low. So, you know, the servicing costs that people have on mortgages is arguably lower than, it, than it's ever been. So they can afford to borrow more money. But, you know, it does come to a question of affordability. And there's only so far you can go in terms of leverage, i.e. how much money you can borrow relative to household incomes before the elastic starts to snap, quite frankly. Um, now, are we at that stage yet? Who knows? But uh, my, my guess would be that we're much closer to that point than we have been for some time. Therefore, any house price growth that we see in the future may be driven more by trends in household income growth, perhaps, than uh, than they have been in the past. And, you know, you know, from an economist perspective, I think it's important to point out that over the longer term, it is reasonable to expect that house prices do grow in line with nominal GDP or you know some measure of household income growth because you know you can't continue just to lever up through time. There has to be an equilibrium point. Dean Turner there, bringing us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. You can read and learn more about the 2021 report. Just head to ubs.com forward slash global real estate bubble index, separating each of those words with a dash. As ever, you can listen again to this programme and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.